Hades stared at her. She couldn't see him with his helmet of invisibility, but he could see her. He had seen many things, the fall of the Titans, the birth of most of the gods. He had seen great men and cities fall, but he had never seen anything as beautiful as her. Persephone was the daughter of Demeter and Zeus. She pranced through the fields of flowers while her friends, the Oceanids, painted the flowers around them. When she came across a particularly lovely flower, the goddess of vegetation would pick it to bring home to her mother, the goddess of the harvest. The two of them were very close, and they had left Olympus when Persephone had started to get a little too much attention from the gods up there. All of the unmarried gods had asked for her hand, and even Persephone knew that this would only lead to betrayal and heartbreak when it came to these infamous, adulterous fiends. And she was right. Hades loved his brother, but he was not exactly a shining example of a loving, responsible husband. Though, even if the gods had been worthy, Demeter would never allow anyone to marry Persephone, no matter how good they were. In her desire to keep her daughter away from some of the nastier parts of life, she had shied her away from some of the best. She would only leave Persephone's side when her daughter was surrounded by the Oceanids. The nymphs worked for Demeter, and as such were the only other beings she could trust with her daughter. Occasionally, she was permitted to speak with Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft, but overall, Persephone's existence revolved exclusively around Demeter. Hades wasn't like his brother. He didn't want to use Persephone or to own her. He wanted to marry her and make her his queen. Together, they would rule. Persephone laid eyes on the Narcissus and knew she had to have it. Demeter would love it. She drew closer and closer to the glowing golden bloom until she could just wrap her pale fingers around it. She was about to pluck it when the ground cracked and crumbled. The Oceanids scattered, shrieking from the field. Dark soil seemed to boil beneath the green field until it came bursting to the surface. The ground split apart and a golden chariot erupted forth, led by four black horses. Persephone screamed and ran, dropping her flowers to the ground. She had just had time to see the stoic face of Hades aboard the chariot before his hard, muscled arm caught her around the waist and dragged her aboard. Her screams continued to echo through the winds as the god of the underworld dragged her beneath the earth, which sealed itself behind her. The moment her daughter's cries filled the air, Demeter dropped what she was doing and flew to her daughter. But when she landed in the field, there was no sign of Persephone. The trench Hades had come from had vanished without a trace. The overturned basket of flowers was the only sign that Persephone had been there at all. From the woods surrounding the field, the triple goddess Hecate burst out of the foliage, running at full speed into the field. Together, the two goddesses searched every corner of the earth they could, but found no sign of Persephone. After several weeks of searching, Hecate proposed that they ask Helios, the god of the sun, if he had seen anything. He was the overseer of the world. Surely he had seen where she had gone. That night, when he landed, the goddesses found him and asked after their daughter or best friend, respectively. Helios sighed. He had seen what had happened, but...
He looked away. He had been hoping to avoid getting involved. It wasn't like him to avoid conflict, but when the goddesses found out who had taken Persephone, they knew why. Hades, the god of the underworld, had taken Demeter's daughter. Demeter saw red. As a goddess who brought life, she could not enter the land of the dead. She would have to take this one up with the boss, the kidnapper's brother, her ex-husband, Zeus. She was careful to avoid Hera, the god's current wife. She had a tendency not to like any of her husband's old loves, and by not like, she meant strike them and Zeus's children with horrific curses and or death. So she was very careful to avoid the queen of the gods, knowing that she would only hurt their chances of getting Persephone back safely. Once the king of the gods was alone, Demeter approached and demanded that he summon his older brother and force him to return her, their do- return her daughter to her. Zeus reminded Demeter that Persephone was their daughter, and as her father, he had the right to choose who she married. He had chosen Hades. Demeter demanded that he call it off, but he doubled down that Persephone now belonged with Hades. Demeter sneered. Zeus would regret this. She raged, and it wouldn't be long. Demeter descended back to earth. Her fury swept over the land in an icy wind. Dark clouds clogged the sky. Crops died, and animals fled in a futile search for warmer lands. Demeter sobbed, clutching the ache in her chest. Sorrow gnawed at her chest and stomach as she wandered the gray fields of falling snow and dying crops alone for the first time in hundreds of years. Persephone, however, was not suffering at all. When she was kidnapped by a child of Kronos, she had feared for her future. Despite this expectation, Hades had not laid a hand on her. He was stern and strict, but he was also very kind. He made sure she had everything she could ever need or want. He began training her to rule, and she passed her days learning how to be queen and playing with the three-headed hellhound Cerberus. It took time, but Hades and the eerie beauty of his kingdom were slowly winning her over. For the first time in her life, she was treated as though she were capable of caring for herself and others. Her gentle, compassionate nature served as a good balance to Hades' hard-line justice and gruff tone. Little by little, day by day, she began to fall in love with her husband and her new life. Up on Earth, Demeter was growing colder, harder, and more bitter, and as she did, so did the Earth. Snow piled up with bodies as humans and other mortals began to die of cold and starvation. Still, Zeus refused to relent. Demeter entered another city, taking her blizzard with her. Here, the daughter of the king and queen offered her a job as a nanny to her brother, the baby prince. Demeter accepted, giving them a false name, and found that caring for the infant eased her pain. She came to care for the little boy so much that she wanted to make him an immortal and pass on her knowledge of agriculture to him. Each night she would feed him ambrosia and baptize him in fire. But before she could complete the ritual, the queen came in and caught Demeter placing their son in the coals. When the queen screamed and fought Demeter, the goddess revealed herself. 
In order to atone for their behavior, they had to build a temple to Demeter. She would keep her vow to keep to teach agriculture to the baby, but it was time for her to move on. Zeus yawned. Fatigue was new to him, but with the worship of humans dying down as the human population did the same, he shook his head. This could not go on. Demeter's rage was one thing while it was tormenting the humans, but like any other politician, when the consequences of his choices affected him, suddenly things were not so amusing. He sent Hermes down to Hades to retrieve his daughter. Demeter was overjoyed to have her daughter back, but something was wrong. She gave Persephone a hug and inhaled her scent. That was it. Her scent was different. Demeter asked Persephone if she had eaten any of the food of the underworld. Persephone answered that she had eaten nothing the whole time except for four pomegranate seeds. Demeter howled with rage. Anyone who ate food from the underworld could never leave. Zeus sighed again. He couldn't make a complete exception, but since it was only four seeds, Persephone only had to spend four months in the underworld with her husband. She was free to spend the rest of the year with Demeter. As such, for one-third of the year, the goddess of vegetation joins her beloved husband as the goddess of the land of the dead while her mother mourns on earth, creating winter every year. Lemonade Mermaid here. This is uh, one of my favorite stories from Greek mythology. I figured this season of the um, <laughs> Southern Fried Storytime podcast, we would go ahead and do Greek myths and legends, since we didn't really have a theme for last season. I thought I'd just go ahead and try and do a theme for a couple seasons, see how that holds up and see how you guys like it. Um, Hades and Persephone is one of my favorite um, Greek and Roman legends, partially because it's probably one of the least abusive relationships you see in these myths. I mean, these, these Greek stories are just, let's be honest, most of them are just awful in terms of the morality of the gods and goddesses, which is funny because we tend to think of gods and goddesses as kind of the example and if they have any flaws that they are not qualified to be gods and goddesses because they're supposed to be beyond reproach but really one of the surest things about these greek gods and goddesses is that they were definitely just awful just terrible and uh i had a professor when i was in college i can't remember if it was freshman or sophomore year that was talking about how actually the Greek gods and goddesses didn't start out that way. When the legends were created, they were actually much more upstanding characters, but that as Greek culture grew more and more corrupt morally, and kind of as their ethics fell to the wayside, so too did the ethics of the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses, which kind of brings to mind our kind of superhero mythos, and how as our culture becomes more and more corrupt and less and less moral, how our superheroes at the same time are kind of exploring more of a gray area between being heroes and villains. How, uh, let's just look at Loki from the Thor comics, used to be strictly a villain, and uh, now is kind of in that gray area where he's sometimes good and sometimes bad. Our heroes are growing darker and darker, and our 
villains are growing more and more relatable as our culture kind of blurs the line between what is good and what is evil, so too are our heroes. And this particular professor said that it was very similar with the Greek gods and goddesses as well. They started out as great characters, but as the culture got or you know older and older and kind of broke with its moral center, so too did these gods and goddesses. Part of the issue with uh, with this that makes it much more traceable with the superhero example than with the gods and goddesses example is that most of their stories were kind of in an oral tradition. We have some written records from these legends, but most of it was still orally passed down, whereas superheroes, we have it all on paper, the kind of corruption of our superheroes that used to be just black and white good guys versus bad guys. Now it just seems that they're all just guys hovering somewhere in the gray. And uh, I think we'll eventually be able to get to a point where our superheroes are indistinguishable from our supervillains, as was the case with the Greek gods and goddesses, because as our society pulls further and further away from good morals and good behavior, so too will our heroes. Um, but this one kind of remains one of my favorites because it is, you know, it's not Zeus and Poseidon cheating on their wives and it's, you know, there's really nothing too terribly underhanded about it. If anything, I think the villain of the story is probably either Zeus or Demeter because, you know, Demeter kills thousands and thousands and thousands of people just to get her daughter back and uh, Zeus just goes ahead and gives away his daughter without speaking to Demeter about it, which in their culture at this time would have been pretty normal, honestly, as the mother and not the father. Demeter probably wouldn't have had too many rights as far as determining who Persephone was married to, let alone would Persephone have those kind of rights, but it's still, it doesn't make it any more savory of a decision. Hades here takes Persephone because her father has promised her to him and so he presumes that you know this is this is my wife and we're going to be married now and it's all okay turns out it was not okay because only one of the three members of Persephone's family knew that this uh, arrangement was going to be taking place so i kind of feel bad for Hades in this situation as well um he was actually, and this may surprise some of you, actually a pretty nice guy as far as Greek and Roman mythology goes. Um, you know, he's always depicted as a villain in our modern movies like Disney's Hercules and Clash of the Titans and all of those. But actually, as far as the Greek gods go, Hades was a pretty upstanding guy. I couldn't find any record anywhere in the myth of him cheating on his wife, be that Persephone or his first wife, Luce, who was a nymph, and she lived with him her whole life, even though she would age and, you know, being mortal would eventually pass away. She spent her whole lifespan with Hades. He dated someone named Minthe in between um, Luce and Persephone, but they were never married. And then um, once he married Persephone, Minthe was kind of salty about not being with Hades anymore. She swore that she was more beautiful than Persephone and she would win Hades back. Persephone at this point had already fallen in love with her husband and she didn't like this threat so she stomped on Minthe and turned her into a mint herb. 
kind of an interesting reaction. The downside is, while we don't see any legends where Hades cheats on Persephone, unfortunately she is not quite so nice to him. So Demeter spends all of her time, you know, freaking out because her best friend, her daughter, that Hades could never be worthy of Persephone, well... Turns out Persephone may not have been worthy of Hades, because Persephone is the only one of the two that I can definitively say did for sure cheat on her spouse. She and Aphrodite at the same time fell in love with Adonis, and they caused such a big fuss about it that eventually, um, I think it was Zeus who set up this plan that Adonis could spend one-third of the year with Aphrodite, one-third with Persephone, and then one-third he would get to choose which of the two women he would be with. Uh, yeah, he chose Aphrodite as the goddess of love. You can kind of see that one coming, you know, it's not too shocking. But apparently Persephone still felt pretty salty about it, and so she sent a wild boar to kill him. So that was it for Adonis. Not great. But no, Hades is kind of universally kind of depicted as very, very strict, cold, logical. And he has to be because if you're guarding the land of the dead and you're not strict about completing your job, then, you know, you get the walking dead happening. This, this is how zombies happen. Do you want zombies to happen? No. So you have to have the god of the dead be kind of a pretty strict guy. The ancient Greeks were kind of afraid of Hades. They had lots of different names for him, kind of like a Voldemort situation where they didn't want to call him by his real name because they were afraid that that would draw his attention to them. And uh, he had a helmet of invisibility that he would wear when he would go around just to kind of avoid people seeing him just because people were so afraid of him. He didn't really fit in. But he very rarely left the underworld. So he's really, as far as the Greek gods go... Not the most fleshed out character. Again, he seems a little bit on the stern side, but overall a pretty good upstanding guy. It just kind of stinks that he was become depicted as the villain in so many of our modern films. But it's easy to depict a god of the land of the dead as a villain because you would be surrounded by that kind of dark, scary imagery. His throne was supposed to be have been made of ebony. And, you know, keeping people afraid of you would kind of keep them respecting you. So I guess that kind of makes sense, but all in all, of the big three gods, the sons of Kronos, which are Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, Hades was really the only one that wasn't just terrible. Like I said, didn't sound like the most fun guy to be around, but the others were just awful behaviorally, whereas Hades doesn't seem to have that. If anything, he just seems to be a little too serious. And like I said... Good reason. We don't want zombies to happen. So, I don't know. Together, he and Persephone seem to have made a pretty good team, too, because as kind of a hippie goddess of vegetation and flowers and all of that stuff, she would be kind of the softer side to his hard edge. And uh, it is actually Persephone who persuades Hades to give Orpheus the chance to descend into the underworld and get his wife Eurydice back, which we will cover later in the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. And I can see all of you art folks going, but Nikki, any depiction of of uh, Hades and Persephone is called the Rape of Persephone. 
Well, the Greek word rape comes from the word, I believe it was rape, but I can't, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm sure I'm pronouncing almost everything wrong. Anyway, the word actually means to steal or to snatch, and you'll notice in these depictions, it's it's actually a depiction of his kidnap of her. It's almost certainly put down in almost all historical texts that I could find that that word didn't mean the same thing in this context as we think of it to mean today. And so, you know, that would be a much more traumatic experience than a kidnapping. Guaranteed, I mean, kidnapping is kind of a, a terrible, terrible thing to go through, but not as bad as the R word happening to you. So, yeah, it's just a different meaning of the same word, but there's a reason why that is always depicted as her being kidnapped rather than having the other thing happen to her. Um, another podcast I listened to named it more tastefully the abduction of Persephone, which is probably much more accurate to the way we understand both of those words today. So all in all, Persephone and Hades seem to make a pretty uh, happy couple by Greek and Roman God standards. Um, yes, she does cheat on him, but as far as I found, it was only the once with the one person, which, and then he doesn't seem to have cheated on her at all. He was a very strict, but also very careful ruler, very level-headed. I don't know, it feels weird to be defending him here. Also, I suppose it does need to be noted that um, Hades, while he was the god of the land of the dead, was not the god of death. I think that god's name was, was Thanatos, Thanatos? I'd have to look it up a little deeper here, but um, the god of actual death, the one that actually kills you, was a totally different guy. Hades was the one that once you had already died, he's supposed to keep you, you know, where you're supposed to be so the walking dead doesn't happen. But Hades was not actually the god that killed you. That was a different guy. So I think a lot of Hades' bad reputation comes from our tendency to kind of push those two things together, the land of the dead and death itself. So, I don't know, I always kind of feel bad. I actually just watched Clash of the Titans with my husband the other day, and those of you who listened to my Hercules episode know that I'm already a little salty with how much they mix up Hercules, Theseus, Perseus, and Bellerophon in all of these stories. Like, Perseus is not Bellerophon. He doesn't need to be riding around on a Pegasus, nor was Hercules. And they mix up the labors of Hercules with the adventures of... Perseus, and you know, that whole thing kind of makes me salty, but another thing that kind of irritates me is that all of these movies also make Hades the bad guy, and uh, if there's one thing going on in this story, while Hades doesn't do too great of a thing, like he should definitely have talked to Persephone before he took her, he's probably the least bad of the bad guys in this story, and as we go through more and more Greek stories throughout the next several weeks for this season you'll see that uh he's actually kind of the least awful of these guys again they're all awful it's like choosing which type of rotten meat you want to eat you want to go with the one that's the least rotten but they're all rotten you know what i mean the the meat that went bad two days ago is not going to be as bad as the meat that went bad two weeks ago (coughs) zeus but um 
yeah, it's it's all bad. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll see what you guys think. Shoot me any comments or emails at southernfriedstorytime at gmail.com. Which is your favorite story of the Greek and Roman gods? Which would you like to hear more of and hear me do some more research on? Um, <laughs> I look forward to hearing from you. Things are going to get real interesting as we go through. As you know, my podcast is rated kind of a... Uh, I wouldn't say family friendly. It's just not rated as having like adult or mature content. So there's going to have to be, and I know, you know, I talk to you guys, I hate having to quote unquote Disneyfy stories, but there's definitely going to be some, uh, oh, some editing <laughs> to what happens in some of these stories. So, um, yeah, definitely if you hear the story from me, or from the Myths and Legends podcast, or mythology, or tales, definitely read it through before you let your kids read it through. Because, like I said, these Greek and Roman gods are the actual worst. And so the heroes of the story tend to be the humans and the demigods that have to live with the consequences of these kind of gratuitous gods, and kind of just surviving having such horrible gods and leaders. So, yeah, definitely brace yourselves. This is about to get real rocky, and uh, it should be kind of fun at the same time. So hopefully we'll have a good time with it. Let me know if there's any of these stories in particular that you would like to hear. I will probably cover, you know, Romulus and Remus, Orpheus and Eurydice, probably do a quick cruise through the Odyssey and the Aeneid and the Iliad. Um, quick cruise because those could be a whole separate podcast just in and of themselves, like just week after week after week of the Odyssey. It is a crazy long story. So I'll probably do like a Reader's Digest version of it. But I really look forward to going through these. So much of our culture as Western culture is based on the cultures that gave birth to these stories. So it makes it very interesting to cover them. And I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>